If your goal is to just sell volume and be the cheapest thing, you do not have to worry about emotion. You're selling solely on price. But if you want to build a brand that people care about, you have to have that emotional component. That was Nancy Dussault-Smith from Hydro. And these are the Brandwagon Interviews. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me today on Brandwagon. Super excited that you're here. My pleasure. What'd you have for breakfast today? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. Starbucks, as Starbucks? usual. Starbucks, so okay. I, I'm a big fan of that app, man. Right? Yeah. You pre-order on the train, hop off, it's there. Had some of those little bagel bites, delicious. Perfect. Yeah. Good. And you have a big trip coming up, is that right? I do. I'm headed to Wimbledon in a couple of days. Super excited. Yeah. Both for the business side of it, lots of great meetings, lots of great um, having amazing athletes on our product as well as looking to speaking to some potential investors. But also, I'm a tennis player, so I'm the geeking out about the fact that I get to go to Wimbledon. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And and we're also so with um, Hydro where I'm at. It's also a rowing. It's rowing, and so it's also Henley. Okay. So. And the Red Sox are going to be in London. Oh, wow. So I've got Red Sox, Henley, and Wimbledon in three days. You're going to see the Red Sox and go to Henley Sox, and go Henley, see Wimbledon? Wimbledon. Three days, wow. London, trip of a lifetime. That's an amazing trip. <laughs> yeah. It's not that bad to go to London. I feel like, are you going to take the red eye? No, it's um, leaving early in the morning, get in at night. Okay. Um, coming back, it's uh, it's just it's a whole day. You just say, hey, it's a whole I'm going to spend, spend a day, day. on a plane a with yeah. a bunch of people I don't okay. know. Coughing yeah. on me. It's going to be great. <laughs> Um, great. And uh, is it true, am I correct that at one of your former companies there was like a bingo game that people would play? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know the, the the joys of company meetings, right, where everybody's kind of supposed to be delivering their message and everything. And uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, they were doing um, company meeting bingo. Okay. And apparently we were either good that we were consistent with our messaging. <laughs> yeah. Or bad that we always said the same things, and so they had all these different things, and one of them was that Nancy was going to swear. So I apologize mm. ahead of time. Okay. I do have a bit of a potty well, mouth. If you do swear, we can bleep it. It'll be fine. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Can you put a big sensor? Yeah, we'll just do the sensor too. Awesome. <laughs> That'll be fantastic. We'll get the sensor going yeah. now. We'll yeah. add in some extra bleeps. It'll just the whole thing will feel. I almost feel like I need to rant right now, but I'm not going to. You're going to hold it in. I'm going to no, hold it in. Don't no. hold it in. Let it no, go. Gonna, That's it, well, what we're we're here. Brandwagon. We're a brandwagon. Better if it's a surprise, right? If it just kind of comes out as a surprise, it feels better. More natural. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so tell me your story. You have an incredible story in terms of the companies you've worked with, the products yeah. you've launched. Like, tell, what's your story? You know, it's funny. I didn't even, uh, I never told you folks this on in the beginning, but I, I had a really interesting start at iRobot. So I worked at a company before that sold into iRobot. Like, if you've ever seen people who get big military contracts, salespeople clomb onto it. They're like, oh, they have money now. Let's go sell to them. So I worked at a company that did that. And my I was a sales national sales manager. And my salesperson couldn't go that day, so I went. And I fell in love with the culture. People were like working in their pajamas and writing like code on walls. And it was the craziest place I'd ever seen robots roaming about, right? Yeah. And I was like, I want to work here. And I kept hounding them and hounding them. And they're like, we don't need sales and marketing people. Most of the stuff at the time was defense products. So I, uh, I kept hounding, kept hounding, finally got a call back. They said, we have a position available. It's for the assistant to the lawyer. And I said, I okay. will take it. And they were like, no, 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 you got to come and interview. I interviewed with nine people. The only person who did not want to hire me was the lawyer, who was like, there's no way she's going to stay in this job. Okay. Right? Um, convinced them to hire me. So I came in as the assistant to the lawyer. And within, I think it was a month, I had been promoted. And then a month, month. So then I ended up running global marketing. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And so I started out, one of the big wins we say early on was that uh, when I got there, the idea for the name for Roomba was actually Cybersuck. 
And cyber like, suck? Cyber suck. And I like to think one of my biggest wins in marketing was deciding with the team that this was not the name. Wow. Like, let's let's go out. And so, Can you imagine if there was a bunch cyber of cyber sucks, sucks just like just rolling cyber around? Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure there would be. Yeah, there would be none. Be <laughs> let's be clear, there would be none. But yeah. uh, it was really, it was an amazing time, amazing team. And so we ended up launching Roomba with a very small budget, mostly through PR, in a very different time. There was no social media back then. You could really control messaging very carefully. And it became one of the biggest launches of the year. And we kept rolling from there. So I, uh, I stayed on and ran marketing communications and global marketing for iRobot for about 12 years, 13 that's, years. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really fun. And it seems like that was also a pretty big risk you took even joining. Huge risk. And it was right at the dot-com bubble burst. I don't know if anyone remembers that oh, yeah. other than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember calling my father and being like, so I'm going to leave this well-paying job with a company car and a good salary, and I'm going to go work at a robot company. Yeah. It's like, are you out of your mind? And they wear oh, pajamas. And, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be the assistant yeah. to the lawyer. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, I was hand-drawing patent applications. Like, it was like that kind of a thing. Wow. And he's still one of my good friends today. That's awesome. Um, and he, uh, I told him I was the best assistant he ever had for a month before I got promoted <laughs> out. But it was a good time. Um, and where'd you go from there? So I left iRobot. So iRobot was amazing, and the growth was crazy. When I came on, it was you know, a lot of military robots, and we were just trying to figure out what we were going to do with Roomba. And then it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. Publicly traded. Like, we took it public, and then it was grew, and grew, and grew. And then it became, the job became about defending my budget. Okay. Right? We had the largest budget in the company, and every, R&D wanted it, and this guy yeah, wanted it. And yeah, then it was all yeah. about spreadsheets, and it stopped being about the launching of a new thing, the yeah. excitement of creating something new. And no more became, storytelling. No, it really became about kind of maintaining and politics and kind of a different type of marketing than necessarily was what I was great at, mm-hmm. right? And it, and, and it wasn't exciting anymore. So ended up leaving there and went to work at this place called Blade. Paul English, who was the founder, one of the founders of Kayak, the travel website, he uh, created this really cool incubator in Boston for a period of time. And so I went there as an entrepreneur in residence, and then I worked with some amazing people on some really cool new products and brands, some of which took off, some of which didn't. Um, but it was a tremendous experience, and I loved it. And then I got pulled into Jibo. I don't know if you've heard of Jibo, the famous Boston yeah, story yeah. of the company that raised $100 million. And I went into Jibo late when they were getting ready to actually start shipping. Okay. And managing that message and trying to kind of build up some excitement for something that had tremendous potential, but wasn't sure where it lived in the space anymore. Yeah. So when it was designed, it was, and this is part of the, I won't go off on my feelings about um, Indiegogo and Kickstarter, but in the world of- Why not? Let's oh, go there. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. It's- <laughs> <laughs> We can bleep it. It's okay. fine. Oh, God. Uh, I can't even tell you. Um, so they, it's this world where you're promised something, yeah. but a lot of people don't know at the point of promise what they can actually make. Yeah, and totally. If it's gonna meet that promise or not? Well, there's a, there's a number. I was buying things on Kickstarter, really excited yeah. about the promise of them, and then they would come. You know, I'd wait and wait and wait, and then there would be the same thing. Like I bought a waterproof case for my iPhone. Mm-hmm. So excited about it, first waterproof case for an iPhone, and then I'm waiting and I'm waiting, and then a bunch of waterproof cases for iPhones hit the market. Totally. And they're super cheap. Totally. Because big manufacturing companies just started building them. I think because they probably saw the Kickstarters taking off. That's exactly. And it. I'm still waiting on the first thing. That's right. And fortunately, it did show up, but I've had many things that didn't. End. That's it's, so. That's exactly the case. So yeah. back like when we launched Roomba, 
We used to, you didn't open the kimono, right? Everything was kept secret. It was so secretive yeah. about what we were building and why. It was secret, secret, secret till the launch day. And then you told the world all at once and they could buy it at that time. Yeah. The world of Indiegogo and Kickstarter has taught VCs that let's wait to determine if there's a market for this before we pump yeah. in the money that they need to actually make it happen. Yeah. Which you, now you've told the world your idea. Yeah, and you're not right? taking the same level of risk too. No, but yeah. so, now, hey world, here's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And now, oh, now I'm gonna get the money and now I have to figure out how to actually build this yeah. and how to do this. And in this meantime, there are other companies who can be doing it, right? And all the learning, you didn't know the amount of time it took to build Roomba. You didn't, you didn't you know because yeah. it was behind the scenes. Yeah. Nobody knew. Yeah. But when you bring in like Jibo, they announced it. It was exciting from an MIT professor who's brilliant, Dr. Brazil, brilliant. And she's, you know, creating all this wonderful stuff. Well, then Echo and, you know, Siri, everybody came out with their thing, the voice assistants that did 90% of it. Mm-hmm. And you're four years in the making of it. Now, yeah. four years to make a robot like that is not uncommon. Yeah. And it takes a lot of money to get there. Yeah. But by the time that came out, it was old technology. Yeah. That didn't add the value for a price point that was different than what Amazon can make it for. Yeah. It's a lost leader for them. They don't care because what they care about is the information you're giving it. They will, totally, yeah. They lose money on the hardware and they don't care. Yeah. No, they want they want your data. That's that's yeah. all, that's what they're monetizing, yeah. right? So they're just like, here, have it. Well, a company who's selling a robot can't do that. So a lot of good learnings there. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then a bunch of people from Jibo and then also from iRobot had gone to this really cool startup in Cambridge that was in the fitness environment space. And I was really excited to hear about it, went and met with them and quickly jumped on because there's something about this tidal wave that you can kind of feel coming of change in marketplace. And this was one of those. So this excitement around connected fitness, right? What Peloton's doing and other folks, there's this this idea that you can still go to the gym, but you also want to work out at home, but you want to have that connected experience and rowing being the best exercise you can possibly do. And it's also like the best kept secret in fitness. Totally. Right? Full body workout, no cardio, 86% and yeah. of your muscles, yeah. half the time, like 20 minutes on a hydro is equivalent to 40 on a bike or running, or yeah. 30 running. It's crazy. It's crazy. How much better it is yeah. for you. And if you're time starved like me, like, why wouldn't I want to do this? But people don't know. Yeah. So I love the idea of that challenge of getting that word out of the industry and then the best product within it. Well, the product also, I mean, it looks like a space age, very futuristic device. Yeah. Like I saw, I was like, I need this. Right? I need this now. That's exactly, well, I know someone at the company. I can <laughs> okay, cool. Um, the idea is that we wanted something beautiful, okay. right? That people would put out in their yeah. living room and didn't become a coat rack, Yeah. right? Um, yeah. Something you weren't embarrassed to have in your home, kind of looked sculptural, almost looked like a hull of a boat, right? Yeah, it was kind of totally. what we were going for. And so it's the best exercise. It feels great. And then our instructors are amazing. They're live on the water. And so you're having this like, you feel like you're rowing down the Charles. So, and they're live? They're live. We do, we do three live a day. And then you can also race against other people. And you and I could have a boat. So we could be a team. Okay. And our time only counts if we both row. And we can row against other teams. Oh, so there's accountability as well. Yeah. yeah. And so they're great. live. So it's raining. They're out they're there. They're out there. They're out they're there. always out there. Yes. And some of the raining episodes are some of my favorites. <laughs> I'm like, sure. That's like way hysterical. more interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
or weird things happen. Like we had one where one of our instructors was racing a yacht. Okay. We had another one where someone got hit in the face with a by a goose. Like the goose flew right into their face. It's kind of hysterical. But then we've also had like dolphins. Fabio style. Fall. Do you remember that? Yes. When Fabio yes, went on the down. roller coaster. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Goose exploded in his face, right. broke his nose. Only he did, I was just gonna say yeah. we didn't have any broken teeth or nose, <laughs> which was great. Um, but we've had dolphins following the boats. I mean, it's just really That's cool amazing. stuff. That's yeah, so cool. We call it live outdoor reality because you never know what's going to happen. It's That's very awesome. different than studio. That's awesome. Yeah. And this is something that's new. It's like taking something that has been around for a long time, but right. it's totally new application, new idea. Mm-hmm. Book time in your day. I'm presuming you're probably also going after folks who have not rowed before. Is that that's right? That's exactly it. That's a big part of it. And that was a big part of the VC message. They're like, well, the rowing market is this. Like, that's great. We're not going after the rowing market. Yeah. We're going after people who want to work out 86% of their muscles in half the time. Yeah. Which is a much bigger market. Good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a much bigger market. Um, so I've been doing Wistia for 13 years, and one of the things that I have seen is that how you market and the, the tools for marketers is like has to constantly change. Yes. Like the world we live in is changing faster and faster and faster. Every year. What do you, how do you, what advice would you give to somebody who's starting out and in today's world? Like what are the things that they should expect as they're marketing that are probably going to stay the same? And what are the things that are going to probably change? Right. So the big thing for staying the same is studying human behavior, right? Because people, their needs, their ultimate needs and wants are consistent, right? There are some things that we all want and need, right? Attention, affection, food, and all the, I'm not going to mention sex, but there's, there's things, right, yeah. that everybody wants and needs. Those are the things that drive people to want and need your product, right? The emotional and rational balance and where your product fits in that, right? And when that buying decision, how that works. That stuff is the same. That's kind of the stuff that you have to figure out. How you then get that out, that's all changed, right? So understanding your benefit, understanding your core, who's going to buy it, why, that's the basics of marketing. So that's like the connection, the brand the connection, the connection yeah. to the product. Why like, do people want this, Yeah. right? What's the why? Yeah. The how is completely different. Yes. We market it, right? Yeah. So when I started with Roomba, like I said, we didn't even have social media. Yeah. It wasn't a thing, right? Like it wasn't there. So now it's a huge part of our marketing budget. It's a huge, even just the social media, adver digital advertising. If you're not advertising on Facebook, you're crazy, right? If you have a consumer product, you have to be there, right? So if you're both advertising and then the, the, the actual um, content that you're creating for the customers, knowing how that mix works, all of the different places, it's all changing. And every year there's something new. And every year something goes away. I remember when everybody was all excited about Snapchat. Yeah. Right? No, it is, it is remarkable. I feel like the speed that the platforms are, new opportunities and new channels yeah. are coming is faster and faster. Totally. But it's also like they rise faster, they fall faster. Totally. And the other thing that I think has changed a lot too is the show me, don't tell me. Right? Mm. We're in a world that's visual. Yeah. Right? People need to see it. People aren't reading a lot of stuff anymore, but they're consuming tremendous amounts of video. YouTube, right, being this top search engine. People just, they want to see it. They want to be entertained. Ads that are entertaining get shared. People share ads. Yeah. If they're entertaining. No, it enough. is. I feel like that's so true. If something's remarkable, you will share it. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, we've obviously seen the same thing happen here in a very unique way, I think, because we're a video company. Yeah. But where people just trust that it's harder to make a video, mm -hmm. it's harder to fake it. Mm -hmm. And so the stuff that's in there is more real. And there's today, obviously, we're more accepting of authenticity over, you know, polish. And so totally. we live in a world where you can't see it moving, you can't see people talking about it, it's hard to believe, it's so easy to write the words, 
And it's, it's a lot harder to do that. And I think we kind of all instinctually know it now. It is, and it's also something that we look at for instruction, right? So yeah. you look at how you baked a, a cake five years ago, six years ago, it was by a recipe that you pulled out of a cookbook and What's looked at, there? right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a shelf of cookbooks. My daughter's like, what the heck is that, yeah. right? Don't you just go to Tasty or don't you yeah. just go to one of these apps where they show you step by step and you can pause and go along with them? We made an amazing unicorn cake. It was fabulous. Yeah. I never would have been able to do it without the visual step by step, right? So we have all of these tools at our disposal now. And it's, it's the challenge is drinking from the fire hose, not having too much, not trying to do too much, right? Because yeah. then you're just going to drown. Yeah. So there's so many options out there to you. Knowing how to focus on what's going to move the needle of what you're trying to sell or what you're trying to market and what you're trying to build is so important. Um, having those layers, right? So, When you have a product that people have never seen before, mm -hmm. how do you actually convince them that it's worth checking out? How do you position a product that has never existed? I mean, you obviously yeah. did that with Roomba. Um, you're kind of doing it again. How yeah. do you think about that? So it's really fun because traditional research doesn't work. I remember doing research on Roomba and we went to a bunch of people and said, what would a robot vacuum look like? And everybody drew a humanoid pushing an upright, right? Like their perception of it, same with like Henry Ford's thing, if you wanted to build a faster vehicle, you'd got more horses, right? You're not gonna build a car. Like they didn't know how to do this. So you have to tell people what they want and why and getting to the essence of making them feel like they can, what is it that's gonna take to make them love your product? One of the things with Roomba in the early days was we were really surprised by how the group of people who started using Roomba were not the people we initially thought. Hmm. So when you say robot vacuum cleaner, mm -hmm. which by the way, initially we called it an intelligent floor vac because robot was scary to people. And you didn't want to do CyberSuck. Right, CyberSuck was out. <laughs> CyberSuck, bad. CyberSuck, bad. Roomba, yeah. Roomba good. Roomba good, yeah. And people were, the people who were the earliest adopters of it were older people with heart conditions. That is interesting. Right, you would never think it. Yeah. Right? And is that because they, you know, they want a clean space, but it's cheaper to or more effective it's a to need. they yeah, it's just they a need. They couldn't. Yeah. It's a, it's apparently if you have a heart condition, pushing a vacuum is dangerous. Wow. It's actually hard and it's and so they're told not to do it, but they wanted to maintain independence and have people over their home and maintain a clean home. So the need was there. And because it did this for them, and then it started with its own personality kind of moving about, and the things that we infused within the brand of the little noises that he made and all the fun things there, they started to anthropomorphize it, right? Mm -hmm. So over 60% named Roomba. And it was like this. Really? Yeah. Everybody was you know, giving it its names. And so they just loved it, even if it broke. This was another early finding, right? We didn't know. We thought people were going to use it once a week like they did in Upright. Yeah. Nope. They were using it four times a week. Yeah. Died four times faster than we anticipated. Interesting. Right? So... We had robot failures, we had all these problems, but people loved it. And so then we were able to take that love, yeah. so take one market that you don't wanna be pigeonholed as a assistive device necessarily, if that's not your market, we wanted it to be bigger. So figuring out how we took what they loved of it, the independence, mm -hmm. the personality associated with it, mm -hmm. and brought it to a larger market. Interesting. Right, so figuring out the wow moment and, and amplifying it. And do you think you could have done that? I mean, have you not, if you didn't have that, very collected, targeted group. Mm. Could you have done that? Would it even have worked? 
So what happened was we we didn't know we had that targeted group, okay. right? So it's about putting it out there. You put it out but, there and you found and it, we and found you realized, who, wow, they wow, care, they care deeply. Yeah, this is solving a real problem. This is an actual need. Yes, and a lot of the things, and if I'm correct, I think you also helped to put in some of that. We did. So I, I was lucky enough to work really closely with the engineers in the early days. Yeah, um, and again, that's part of the fun of a startup. Yeah, right? Is that yeah. you're not siloed into this little group. It was a it was a running joke for a while. I have a number of patents on on the floor cleaning devices. How many, how many do you have? I think I have five or six That's now. Pretty good. Um, yeah, <laughs> we used to joke. My mother would introduce me as this is my daughter. She's been on Oprah, and my father would introduce me as this is my daughter. She has patents. <laughs> Very different ideas of success, but uh, but, anyways, but you checked both boxes. You I did. For they both they of them. each had something to say, which That's was nice. That's great. Yeah. But with when when you look at what people were going to identify with, so like when he would back up off of his home base. We mm -hmm. made him say like beep, 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 like a big truck backing mm -hmm. up because he had big personality. Mm -hmm. When you would pick him up, the noise was like, whoa, oh. Mm -hmm. It sounds like he's saying, uh oh. Mm -hmm. So even though Roomba didn't speak, he communicated mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. And it gave them the sense that he was yeah. alive. The number one thing they used to say was he was their earnest little helper, which was really an interesting term that marketers can do a lot with. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. So, and when we look at what we're doing with, with Hydro right now, it's about creating that connection for people. And we've just started delivering. We had to do an Indiegogo campaign. Um, <laughs> I remember I went into interview. They're like, we're going to do an Indiegogo. I'm like, no. no. <laughs> the difference, the big difference was that they had already started producing. Okay. So they had a line set up. So they were close. So, yeah, it so wasn't the, like, we have this idea. We're going to make this exactly rower. Right. And it's, they, we have no idea how long it's going to take. And then right. it's like six years later. It was like, it, we know it's going to take three months. Exactly. Later. The gentleman who... This guy, Adam Kraft, who um, was doing this, he's the, the chief production officer, and he was there with me at iRobot. And I knew he could make it happen. Yeah. And I knew the right pieces were in place. Gotcha. But anyway, so we did an Indiegogo campaign, and we were going to get out there and get people excited. And a lot of what came back to us, which was really interesting, was the connectivity, the community that people wanted to have, you didn't the feel accountability. Like, okay, so that you don't feel like you're doing it by yourself. That's right. And that you, and in some cases, you actually have to do it with somebody else to even yeah. qualify. If you, exactly right. So yeah. it's this accountability, it's this fun, and then being able to see and be distracted. Some days yeah. we need to be distracted during our workouts, yeah. right? Like to get through it. Yeah. Um, and then having people talk you through it. So we found all of these interesting little hooks that we use now more so in our marketing. So the rational is the 86 two times as fast, right? 86% yeah. of muscles twice as fast. That's our rational message. Our emotional is about the connectivity. Okay. The giving back. We have a really great partnership with water.org. Okay. So there's a charitable component that cool. people love. So you're rowing not only for yourself, but for others. And so when you think about it, you're really going here saying there's going to be a rational moment why people buy, mm -hmm. and there's going to be an irrational or an emotional. An emotional. Um, mm -hmm. I'll call it irrational. <laughs> I think that's good. I mean, we're all yeah. driven by emotion. We, we um, are. And if you want to build a great brand, yeah. there has to be an emotional component to it. Yeah. If you don't care, what's the point? So it, you can be the, the the cheapest thing. If your goal is to just sell volume and be the cheapest thing, you do not have to worry about emotion. You're selling solely on price. But if you want to build a brand that people care about, you have to have that emotional component. And understanding that emotion ration mix and how it affects the consumer journey is pivotal. Like you have to figure that piece out. And that takes time to figure it out, which to play it more. And sometimes when you're going into different spaces in your in your marketing journey, it's it's playing up in different ways, right? But having that amazing anthem video 
that makes people feel like they want to be associated with your brand, I think in today's world is so important. I think it's, it's I agree so much there and I, I couldn't have said it better. And so much, I feel like today people just make instinctual decisions that mm -hmm. they then rationalize. Mm -hmm. it's like, I have a connection to this thing. I want it yeah. to be healthy. I'm going to support people. I cannot tell you, I cannot do the math on it. And like, but actually I'm going to. 86% better. It's way yeah. better. And you're yeah. like, yeah, it is. I should get that. Like, it's like you need both pieces. You do. Yeah. Particularly if it's a higher end product, it's a more expensive product, right? There is no reason why no anybody needs a purse that costs $2,000. Yeah. There is no reason. You can go to Target and buy one for eight bucks. It's going to carry your junk the same as that Louis Vuitton. But you isn't it funny though that the more expensive thing that matters more? Because you would think yeah. the more expensive thing would require more spreadsheets. No, it's more all it's all emotion. Yeah. What does that brand say about you? Yeah. What does having that brand say about you? Yeah. What does being a part of that say about you? You know, in fitness, Nike does it better than anybody, right? There is an emotion associated with their ads that is so different than why you bought that sneaker. Right, it says something about you. Luxury brands do it beautifully. And I think you're, uh, the fact that it says something about the buyer is mm -hmm. so interesting, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're thinking about building a brand, you're thinking about getting a brand out there, trying to get people to connect with your brand. It's like, yep. what do you want your audience to be? Like, yeah. what do you want them to feel after they interact with your product, after they interact with your company? Yeah. And it's like, if you nail that, people like to tell each other about how they feel better. Right? Totally. <laughs> and if they're proud about being a part of what you're doing, they're going to tell other people. And we all know word of mouth is the most important thing in spreading and building a brand and its equity. So if somebody is proud to be a part of a, of a brand or proud to wear something or proud to be, they're going to tell folks and they're going to be excited about it. It's going to feel authentic to you. And you're going to be like, God, look at how great he feels wearing that or using that. I want to do that. Yeah. Right, and so that in enabling them to share and have that conversation, social is beautiful for that. The humble brag is my favorite thing in the world. Right, there's nothing I love better than a great brand humble brag that someone does on my behalf. Yeah. Right, do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we had we had uh, someone write in that they had um, already lost 20 pounds by using a hydro. It's amazing. It's telling everybody because he's motivated and using it more and excited about it. Love it, yeah. right? Post that before and after picture, baby. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Do it. Get out there. Right. Be proud. Yeah. You've done it. Yeah. Um, how do you think about scaling this? Like, how do you scale brand? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And I think that the the bigger you get as you start to go through that kind of growth process and understanding your customer and how they change and evolve over time and what's important to them and the growth of of the communication and where they are. When you start, a lot of the stuff, when you're launching a, a new product and you have limited budgets based off of what you're doing and you can't do massive TV, right? I cannot, Peloton spent 60 million in 60 days over the holidays. Hmm. I don't have that kind yeah. of budget. That's a good chunk of change. Right? Yeah. I, I can't compete with that from TV advertising. So I have to make sure that I'm managing that message and who it's going out to really carefully now. In five years, when I get that budget and when we're there, that message is going to look different and it's going to go through different avenues and my brand is going to grow to continue to bring in more people. So you're starting with your small addressable market here and my TAM is going to grow considerably as I get past that early adopter risk, right? So my message has to grow with it. My means of how I talk to those people have to grow with it. So it all, it all evolves, right? I think of it a lot like children, right? Like if, if anyone has kids, right? Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have an eight-year-old. How I spoke to her 
And what I tried to get her to do when she was two versus eight is very different. So when you think of your brands and your products the same way, when you're starting out, the things that are most basic that you have to get done, that you have to put out there, your communications are a little more raw, yeah. right? But just as important because if you don't get those in in those first couple years, when they get to be eight, it's going to be a lot harder, right? Yeah. To instill those things in them that you want to. Yeah, there's, it's interesting because there's kind of a, f- a few layers there, right? Yeah. There's actually, from you're saying from the beginning, focusing on brand. Have to. And you have to do that, yep. which we should dig more into. You're also saying the way you focus on brand is going to evolve and change. Mm-hmm. We've also talked about how brand is one of the things that's con- going to be consistent mm-hmm. in terms of how people feel, yep. which I always think of as like an interesting challenge because it's like, all right, I'm trying to do different things to hopefully have you feel in a similar way, yeah. similar connection. And then where I'm going to do it, it's going to change yeah. because like the world is changing so quickly. And making sure you don't jump the shark, right? Yeah. Like making sure you don't go from that thing that's cool to not, or that thing that's interesting to not, to hitting too big of a mass, right? Have you seen anyone jump the shark recently that's like oh. popped out to you? God, I don't know, I gotta think on that one. There are there are so many that have, and then there's some that have come back, right? So I, I almost hate to say it because you know I know a lot of people there, but Reebok for a while had jump, jumped the shark, right? They had been this cool thing and really like you think of like the aerobics era and like everything was Reebok. And then it became what grandmas wore in the mall. Right? And it was like, oh, you didn't you didn't want to like that was like cool, right? No, it wasn't getting caught dead in my Reebok. But now they're back. Yeah. Right? And they did some interesting things to get there, right? Yeah. They did some really interesting CrossFit stuff. I was gonna they say did some, the, the focus on CrossFit I thought was really interesting. It was. It brought in a younger, a tougher kind of a demo. With like a it was like very specific niche mm-hmm. and really focused. Mm-hmm. And I think I first saw that on the street. I was walking down Newbury Street and they stopped me. They're trying to stop everyone. I don't yeah. know why I stopped and like we're doing this CrossFit thing. You should come, come get some gear, blah, blah, blah. We're opening like a CrossFit gym down the street. Yeah. And it was like, wow, that is not what I thought that brand was. Exactly. It was like one of those moments that felt very different. Yep. And I think because that represents such a, so much strength in the CrossFit brand, you love it or hate it. Yeah, right? that's exactly it. But they took a stance, right? Because if you're vanilla, right, who's going to, nobody's going to bat for you. Yeah. Nobody's going to bat for vanilla, right? But if you're Rocky Road, you're, some people are going to love you and other people, you're not their thing. And that's a really important lesson too, which is that you have to actually be willing to do something that people are going to react to. Absolutely. And, and if it's working well, that looks like some people love it and probably some people hate it. Totally. And you're going to get the backlash. Like you look at Target recently had some, when they took away boy and girl toys, mm. right? In their aisles, they stopped having girl aisle and boy aisle and started just having toys. Just toys, yeah. <laughs> Why that pissed some people off, I yeah. have no idea, Yeah. right? But it did, some people were livid about it and they got a ton of backlash on, on their social channels and everything and their response was great. They're like, we don't care, Yeah. right? Like it's gender neutrality, like it's okay for a boy to play with a Barbie doll and it's okay for a girl to play with Transformers. It's not linear. And I love that they did that. Oreo, the same thing. Do you remember when they did a number of years ago the um, rainbow mm-hmm. for Pride? Mm-hmm. Back in the day before everybody had jumped on kind of the Pride wagon. Mm-hmm. Brand, apparent. Mm-hmm. So before people <laughs> jumped on the Pride wagon, they had um, they did like the rainbow Oreo. Oh my God. People are like, I'll never eat Oreos again. They're yeah. like, great, don't. Yeah. it's it, th- Those two cases are particularly remarkable because I feel like they're basically saying like, let people be who they are. And in, in Target's case, 
pretty, I, I understand the impact of the gesture is large, but actually pretty small change. Tiny. Very tiny change. Like we're tiny. gonna change some signs in our stores yeah. and suddenly it's a huge thing because it represents this big thing. That's right. And it represents something that people really do care about. Yep. And they knew that and it was smart and that is how it should be. So it's, it is interesting because like yep. we're so but much- But the bigger of, the brand, the bigger the risk. That's true. Right? So that's a huge brand yep. with a huge audience yep. and then a you know the 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 group that care a lot about not doing that yeah. are very vocal. Yes. Right? It's that by vocal minority, yeah. we're going to make your life miserable for a period of time. But they knew it going in. They're like, that's fine. Yeah, we're going to do this because it's the right thing, and that's a good brand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And do you think you you just have to constantly be searching for that, like to find the rocky roads? Yeah, and it's easier today with social. Right, because you don't have to pay for the big research study and bring people into a room and ask them a bunch of questions. They're already talking about it. Yeah. Right. So finding out, really digging into who's your most passionate users. What do they look like? What do they follow? Who else are they looking at? And really understanding who those people are helps you to understand who you're resonating most with. One of the things I think about a lot is like if you have a bunch of people who care about Rocky Road Mm -hmm. and they're talking about Rocky Road, then if you give them more reasons to talk about Rocky Road and you Mm -hmm. give them different varieties of Rocky Road and different size scoops of Rocky Road and Different, you know, companies building different, creating different Rocky Roads. That that there end up being more people care about Rocky Road. It starts to become more interesting to them, right? And you can branch out into different areas, like yeah. you said. But knowing what at the core, because someone who loves, I love this ice cream because I'm all about it now. Yeah. I want ice cream. Yeah. But somebody who loves Rocky Road might also love chocolate chip, right? Mm-hmm. Or they might also really like. Um, some marshmallow concoction, right? So there, there are other things that they're going to like, but it's core to the fact that they like things with lots of flavor, yeah. right? As opposed to the people who just want the plain vanilla. Gotcha. And so understanding that core thing helps you identify what pieces you want to go after and where you go. You're not going to necessarily go with a with a with a peppermint patty because it's such a different flavor profile. Yeah. Right? So, but that rich, deep chocolate stuff, you're going to go in that direction. So it's kind of like find the niche and then yeah. find the other things that they care about and layer that next one on, yes. layer the next one on. As you keep going, you can build an audience by doing right. that. Right. And it all feels like it's authentic to that initial f- flavor. So Brandwagon yes. is a sub-brand of Wistia. Okay. And we did that so it can have its own values a little bit, but obviously similar values to Wistia. Mm-hmm. It can build its own audience and we can take some different risks with it. Um, and we could try to grow it as its own thing. And hopefully mm-hmm. as people see Brandwagon, if they really like it, or they hate it, but hopefully they really like it, they can make the call, like, I like this style, I like this approach, I want to keep watching. Mm-hmm. Um, this is important to us to think about this as sub-brands, as a way to think about risk. How do, you, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. If it feels like it sits cohesively with what you're doing as a company, if you were creating a show that was all about making the world's best orange juice, it wouldn't sit, yeah. right? It wouldn't make sense. So as long as you have that master brand and lots of sub-brands under it that all fit under that umbrella and make sense, it's great. The one the one example of someone who does it differently and does it well, and I don't know why it works, is Virgin. Mm. So when you look at, they have an airline, right? Yeah. They have, I mean, they have a million different things. They have a with health the, company. They, yeah. Right? Virgin yeah. Pulse, which is yeah. local. They have all these different things with the Virgin brand on it that don't necessarily make sense. Yeah. But throughout it, they weave the idea of what Virgin is, which is kind of this disruptor brand. Yeah. Right? So they want to look at industries and do them a little differently. And I think that they do that well, but they're kind of an exception. They're kind of the fringe on it that they've taken that extreme 
view. But most brands, when you look at the sub-brands that fit underneath, there's a very logical hierarchy of how that works. And I think what you're doing makes perfect sense. How do you get comfortable? You, there's going to be brand risks that you have to take with Hydro. Absolutely. That are probably on a scale similar to brand risks you took with Roomba. Mm-hmm. But in today's world, like how are you looking at that? How are you thinking about that? Is it similar to saying like, you know what? I'll be the assistant to the lawyer and I'll jump in there. And I, it, like, how do you think about that? Yeah, you have you have to take risks, right? Without great risks, come no rewards, right? You have to take those risks. Um, and a lot of times in the early days, it's gut. And we talk a lot about failing fast, right? And that's no secret. Everybody knows. But if you fail fast, great. You learn something. You should learn something from everything that you do, what works, what doesn't. But the pillars, as we talked before about the brand and how you build something over time, particularly those elements that you do from birth all the way up, what stays consistent? And the the equation of kind of the family and those values, you have core family values that are consistent throughout and that feel authentic to you. It's the same thing for a brand. There have to be elements at the core that are consistent and that feel like they work throughout. The second you veer off of that, the public will see it and will know, and that's when you jump a shark, right? That's when you start to become less authentic to who you are, and people are like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand this anymore. So knowing what what key elements. So for us, one of the things that we talk a lot about is we talk about live outdoor reality, right? So mm-hmm. with Hydro, mm-hmm. it's about you're outside, you feel like you're a part of it, but we also have on-the-mat content. So the screen tilts, and you can do a yoga workout or a Pilates workout, Right? So a very real conversation that we have and we're currently having is, should those workouts be outside? Should they be outdoor or should they be in a studio? Yeah, should you be able to get rained on? Right. Yeah. So should you have somebody doing their Pilates workout on the side of the Charles or Miami Beach in the rain? Or should it be where you can control it with lighting and everything and have a, a more consistent experience of what people are expecting from a Pilates workout? For the brand, what feels right? Yeah, and it's, I mean, the marriage, too, between marketing and product in that case, right? Like It has to all be, and this is why we talked about it from the very beginning, and I think a lot of startups make that mistake. I'm going to piss some people off. Here we go. But particularly (laughs) engineering-based startups, startups that are um, started from an engineering perspective, right? I have a technology that I'm going to sell. They very often feel like the selling part is the easy part right? The building it is the hard part. If we build it, they will come. That's not true, right? The elements of that brand have to be thought out from the very, very beginning, from the very kernels of the thought all the way through so that it builds something that people care about. But people get really worried about paying a salary for a marketing or a salesperson if they're not going to actually be selling something for a year. What are they going to do, right? They don't realize the amount of work that gets that is needed to create all of these elements that build a brand that people care about. So if I had a piece of advice for anybody thinking of starting a company, particularly on the engineering side, bring in a great marketer as your co-founder or someone from the beginning who can infuse that throughout the product. That's, I think that's great advice. And that's something that I remember in the early days for us. It's like, what am I doing? <laughs> what, is, what is my job? Yeah. You know? And it was talking to people, understanding what they connect with, writing blog posts. Eventually, it was like, oh, I'm marketing, and I'm figuring out who we are mm-hmm. and how we present ourselves. And it's a hard thing to do, and it's a hard thing to wrap your mind around because unlike product, which is like, there's a new feature, here's more stuff that we built today, here's more stuff that we're going to build next week, like, I'm not totally sure what we're going to be doing in two months. Right. Um, and there may be a new channel that pops up, there may be an influencer we're going to talk to, there may be some something. 
but it is one of those really important things. It really isn't. It's a question of like the tail wagging the dog or the uh, cart before the horse or the, you know, the chicken and the egg. Who is responsible for understanding who your customer is and what they're going to want? So when you talk about well, like what features are added are completely dependent on who's using it and why they're using it and what they're going to want. If you don't have that full understanding early on of who that target is and why they're going to care, why do they care about this thing, you're not going to know what features to put on, right? So marketing has to have a seat at that table. At Hydro, the product management team reports up through the CMO because the, ultimately the voice of the consumer is what matters the most in what we're adding. That's cool. And then when you're taking those risks mm -hmm. and you're getting comfortable with them, you've taken these risks before and you've built up the muscle, how do you convince the people around you to mm. be, feel comfortable with those risks, especially if they're not involved day to day or they only hear about it? Because like a lot of the best stuff is going to be totally new and totally different and, yeah. and it can feel really scary. Like How do you help those people that are also in the organization that are not directly involved but are watching it? Like, how do you help them get yeah, comfortable? Yeah, it's a great question because it's a battle every day, <laughs> right? And anywhere you go, right? Because there are people who, understanding how different minds work and understanding consumers you have to use in your day-to-day -day in the office as well. So I look at everybody across the C-suite sitting at the executive table with me as my consumer. And how am I going to convince them that what we're doing is the right thing? I used to always say it at places where I had bigger budgets that a certain percentage of the budget was mine to do with as I chose and nobody could question it. It's a small percentage. Mm -hmm. But it was like I have I take this five or ten percent and this is what I play with. This is where I test things that I in my gut feel are right, but I can't prove to you until I try it. Right? You have to give me that. The other stuff, super measurable, super whatever, and we're gonna go in these directions, but give me those. And that's where a lot of big wins come in. Right? And, and convincing people of that, sometimes up front is too hard. So I just say, give me this little bit. Now it's about bringing people on board and educating. Because again, there's that question of our COO, whom I love dearly at Hydro, is an MIT brilliant guy, super, super driven by data. Mm -hmm. Should be. That's what he needs to do for his job. Mm -hmm. Right? I am a loud and obnoxious marketer who is flailing her hands all the time and speaking like this in meetings. Um, and for us to be able to get to a place where we both feel good about a decision is work. But when we do, it's the best feeling. At the end of the day, we're like, yes, that's the right thing for this. Because he cares a lot. He's um, He comes from HubSpot and some other Quantopian where they were building these communities of people. And so he's really been instrumental in understanding how we build our community of, of, of folks on around Hydro and how they interact with each other. So he cares a lot about it too. But we look at it from two completely different lenses. That's awesome. I think it's such a cool point too of saying in your budget, just take five or 10% of it yes. and upfront. Because if you don't do that upfront, everyone's going to be like, what would you do with that budget? Totally. Like, or, why is this budget, why aren't we measuring this the same way versus like, exactly. give me this small thing? Because it, it doesn't take much to be able to take, I think, really big risks mm -hmm. if you coordinate off and you say that's what this is. That's exactly it. And I'm not going to use this against my numbers, right? This is, this is for us to try and test. And some great wins have come from that for me, right? We did some really fun things with those little budgets that moved the needle in some cases. And then we can invest the bigger money in it. Um, but until you try, it's not going to happen. So dark social, the idea that there's a network of communications and conversations and things that are happening mm -hmm. that where they used to happen on social media, like on Twitter and on Facebook, and people would let it rip and say whatever they think, that actually now more and more it's happening in Slack. Mm 
tapping an email. Mm -hmm. um, conversations are happening privately. And a lot of the recommendations that kind of happen publicly are happening privately. I think for a lot of reasons, probably because people are afraid mm -hmm. of posting things publicly because mm -hmm. they realize that social media is not temporary, yes. <laughs> sticks with yes. you. And also because we really, have, well, I think we live in a world where there's so many options, we rely more on recommendations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those recommendations come from people that you know, people you know at work, people that you're friends with, mm -hmm. from your family. How do you think about marketing in a world where so much of the conversation is actually starting to happen behind closed doors again? It actually feels like the world has kind of come full circle because those conversations used to happen face to face and marketers had no idea that they were happening or any control over them. Right, And then social, and you had all the trolls, and people were yelling things, and people felt free to do it. Now there's a little more clamping down, and people are going back to having those conversations as if you're face-to-face, -face, but it's still electronically. The best and only thing you can do is to maintain your brand voice in a consistent way that you feel proud of. There are always going to be naysayers, right? There are always going to be people who are saying bad things. There are always going to be people who are against your brand. And for the most part, I don't care if they're a customer I don't want, right? So yep. I don't want every customer. My favorite thing though, I'm gonna go on a little tangent, is when CEOs say, well, how do you control who buys the product? Because there are some people I don't want to buy it. Okay, but raise my sales number, yeah. okay, right? Like you still have to sell all of these things, but we only want people who are gonna say good things about us, Yeah. right? I, and I'm not necessarily a believer in that because by somebody saying that they hate it actually identifies with other people that this is not for them or this is for them because Bob hates it, Yes. right? I have yeah. friends who are like, oh my God, I hated that movie because they swore so much. I'm like, sweet, Yeah. I'm all about Sign it. Sign me that, up, right, bleep, bleep, that, bleep, doesn't, bleep. Pff, that doesn't bother me, <laughs> yeah. right? I can use that information to judge whether or not it's something that's gonna offend or something totally. I'm gonna I think that's such a great way to look at it too, especially with the haters that like, yeah. there's gonna be haters and what you want people, you want the haters to be the people who should be haters. Yeah. That where your target audience looks at them hating it exactly as you said and they're like, Yep, great. I, that means I probably will want it. I'm so I love glad that. Bob hates that. that because he's yeah. an idiot, yeah. right? Yeah. So exactly, <laughs> like I'm all about that. As Taylor Swift says, haters are gonna hate, 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 and I'm all about it. Hate away. <laughs> Where do you think marketing and brand is going? Where? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it's really interesting because people are starting to really get an understanding of branding in a way that they never did before personal brands are becoming more and more important, right? You look at these influencers on social media, right? These Instagram folks who have 50,000 plus followers and starting to realize that they can monetize themselves, right? So branding, I think, has gone from something that a, a small number of people specialized in to something that everybody can do to express who they are in a way that puts themselves out there. And in this world of social media, it's really changing. So when we look at branding going from just kind of a marketer's world, it's becoming everybody's world. I was I was saying earlier, I have a, a woman on my team who is, um, I think she's 20, and she has 58,000 Instagram followers. That's a lot. With no like affiliation to grow it. It's just a 20-year-old hustle. Yeah. Right? And That's I crazy. love that. Yeah. Right? So sitting with her and figuring out how she did it, but I talked to her about for five minutes about what she could do to monetize that or use that in a different way, and her mind exploded. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's just so interesting too because in terms of a, from a competitive standpoint, we're not just competing with other companies. No. We're competing with people, individuals, and absolutely. everything. Yeah. Which and in that world where you're competing with, how do you 
what do you do mm -hmm. in that world? Like how yeah. do you actually, how do you find a way of cutting through the noise? So big thing for me is not, not in an intrusive way, but in a way that makes sense to people. So finding those influencers who are gonna spread the word for me in a way that people feel comfortable with it, right? So how do we empower our users and our customers to spread our word in a way that feels authentic to them and us at the same time? So gotcha. what do they care about? Uh, I mentioned briefly this water.org partnership that we have. For us being on the water, and this is one of our pillars from early on, water is so important to what we do. We're rowing on yeah. the water. We're yeah. near water all the time, yeah. right? The Rio Olympics showed us that water isn't always in great condition, yeah. right? And a lot of people don't have access to water that they should. So we did a partnership with water.org from day one, which means that if you, every time you row on your hydro, there's a countdown, 60 rows, and you provide a lifetime of access to water for someone in a developing country. That's amazing. For every 60 times you get on there. So you can affect change in the world by making yourself better by working out and how it goes. So this is a thing that people love to share and talk about, right? Yeah, and that's also something that's like very different about the brand, right? Like totally. it ties into the values you have is like if I'm actually helping people mm -hmm. by helping myself, it mm -hmm. feels pretty good. There are over 500 people who now have access to water that didn't before we launched the company. That's amazing. It's amazing. And we're just starting. Yeah. Imagine the change that we can affect over time. Yeah. That this is a pillar of our company that we're going to give back and it makes you feel good about rowing makes yeah. you feel good about telling people. Well, that might be the, this, one of the things that gets someone to give us a exactly. shot otherwise, where they wouldn't have never done it, you know, if they've never done it before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So finding those things that enable people to tell the, your story in a positive way that's easy for them to understand, right? Results are another easy thing for people to do. So I want to enable everybody. In the early days of Roomba, we did this fun thing. And again, this is before social media, right? But people would, would write in all the time about how they use their Roomba. It was the only vacuum you pulled out at a party. Right, because people they'd see it, they'd be like, "Oh my God, you have one of those things," yeah. and people kept them out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, oh yeah, and then they, our customers were demonstrating them at cocktail parties for their friends. Who does that? Who has a product that that happens? Right. So then we decided to try to figure out a way to enable that more. Right. So we had this because your house is clean when you have your friends over. Right. You're not leaving <laughs> junk on the floor. I would hope so. You would think. Yeah. So we. As long as the CyberSuck's working properly. When CyberSuck is on, it's gold. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so we would send them these fun things that they could throw down. It was basically just like fruity pebbles and okay. confetti. Okay. Um, but it was like fun dirt. And then we had like Roomba song mix and we had all the stuff and we would physically send them a box. Wow. Like a party kit. Okay. Right. And they would love it. And yeah. they'd throw the stuff out. And I think now, with social the way that it is, I, I know they don't do that anymore, but that would be something like so Instagrammable. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. So how can you do that with your brand? What are the things that you can share with people that make them want to have those moments where they're engaging with it in a fun way? That's so awesome. Yeah. Nancy, thank you so much for coming to Brandwagon. Really appreciate it. My um, pleasure. Where can people find you? So I'm at Hydro. You can find hydro.com, H-Y-D-R-O-W, Hydro. .com, H -Y -D -R -O -W. 